0: And so today, we're, we're talking about here I am to worship, and that is a, that's a perfect lead-in to what we're talking about today, which is transformation. So this is our third week of here I am to worship, and what we're talking about is what it looks like as the people of God come together and worship. I just want to say this, and, and every week I want to say this so that you, you know it. Worship is not just what happens when the body of Christ comes together in the sanctuary. That is corporate worship. But worship is what happens every day when you follow Christ, when you are living for God, when you worship and praise Him, when you, when you surrender your heart. Worship isn't something that stops at 12 o'clock. It, goes from 11 to, it doesn't go from 11 to 12. It's all the time. But we're talking about when we come together in corporate worship. So um, this is week three. Week one was expectation that when we come here to worship together, we expect to meet the living God. There's a lot of different expectations that you can have. There's a lot of ways that you can get your mind in the wrong place. And if you come expecting the wrong things, you're going to miss what worship really is, which is meeting with the living God. The second week, that was Psalm 84, was expectation. Last week, we talked about adoration, that when we meet with the living God, there's nothing we can do other than praise Him for who He is. Psalm 103, a Psalm of David. That's Keep that in mind. That's significant. Significant. Psalm 103, a psalm of David, was adoration. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless the Lord. And David went on and on to talk about all of the great attributes of God and the reason that we worship and adore Him. And so today we come to transformation. We're in Psalm 51. And the reason I mentioned that Psalm 103 is a psalm of David is that Psalm 51 is also a psalm of David. So so here's the thing, if we are coming to truly worship, if we are coming to meet the living God, the holy God, and if we come into God's sanctuary, into his presence together, and and we experience his holiness and goodness, there's going to be a problem. Let me tell you what that problem is. There's a gap. There's a gap between God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, and my unworthiness, my lack of all those things. And so when we come in to worship, we come in expecting to meet the living God, we come to worship and adore and praise God, but there's no way we can escape the gap between God's worthiness and our unworthiness. And so that's what we're talking about today. True worship is not just praise. It's it's not just the, the high moments of singing the really fun songs and being happy. It's transformation. It's when God takes us, the gap, and transforms us into his image. So we're looking at Psalm 51. If you're looking at The scripture right below Psalm 51, it gives you a little description of it, and this is significant, so we're going to look at it here today. It says, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So that's the setting for Psalm 51. Psalm 103, we heard last week, was bless the Lord, O my soul. God is good. God is gracious. God is loving. God loves us like, like his own children. Psalm 51 is a psalm of David, and it says, this is written when Nathan, the prophet Nathan, comes to confront David of his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the context here. We're talking about the gap. Between a holy God and unholy, unworthy people. So David, pretty far down here. Let's talk about the context. So David is the king of God's people. He's God's chosen servant to lead his people. And David, while his armies are out on the battlefield, David falls into sin. He falls into the sin of lust. It says that he was walking around um, his temple, and he was walking around the, the rooftop, and he saw a woman named Bathsheba, and he saw her, and he lusted after her. Now, let me give you a little more context. Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah, who was one of David's key military leaders. So not only is the military off fighting for the kingdom, but while they're out there, David falls into sin, seeing one of the leader's wives... And commits the sin of lust. That leads David to call for Bathsheba to come to where he was. And they, they committed adultery together. So that's pretty bad, isn't it? I mean, let's just acknowledge right here that if, if that happened and somebody was sitting next to us, we would feel pretty uncomfortable, right? But it didn't end there. See, Bathsheba became pregnant with David's child. He's in big trouble now. So to try to cover it up, David sends for Uriah to come home, and he thinks, if I can get Uriah to come home and be with his wife, then I'll be off the hook because nobody will know what I've done. So Uriah comes home, but the problem is Uriah is so faithful to God and faithful to the kingdom that he says, I can't dare go into my house and be with my wife while everyone else is out fighting, and he sleeps at the doorstep. And David had to be thinking, oh man, I'm in trouble. And so Uriah doesn't cover it up for David, so what does David do? David says, I got to get rid of Uriah. And, And so David sends him back to battle, and David gives the instructions, hey, when we go into battle, I want you to put Uriah on the front lines, and I want you to send them into battle, and the second they confront the enemy, I want you to withdraw leaving him To die. So he lusted, he committed adultery, he tried to cover it up, and when he couldn't cover it up, he basically commits murder. God's holiness. I I can't even get low enough. David, down here. There's a gap, right? David is in the lowest place. And in in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see that God sends Nathan to confront David about his sin. Now, let's just start here. While we might be thinking of the hideousness of David's sin, I want us to read Psalm 51 with an acknowledgement that when we come to meet the living God today and we experience his holiness and worthiness, that there is a gap between who he is and who we are. And maybe, maybe we're not down there below the floor, but, but there's a gap. And so God sends Nathan to confront David. And I love this. The context of David writing Psalm 51 is that God has sent a prophet to confront him in his sin. And this is good news. That doesn't sound like good news if you're David, does it? This is good news. Why does God send Nathan to confront David in his sin? Think about that for a second. What's God's purpose in sending Nathan to confront David? Do you think it's that that God is is just wanting to get a, I told you so, or do you think it's that God just wants to rub in that that David's messed up so bad? I mean, David is is hiding from God. He's pulling away. And you know what I think I would have done in that situation is I would have said, Go on your way. But God sends Nathan, not to punish David, not to rub it in that he's unworthy. God sends Nathan because he wants to restore David, because he loves David, because he's he's got a heart of mercy and grace that wants to redeem and restore what's broken, the gap. You guys should be more excited about this. When we come into worship today and we meet a holy God, the truth is that every single one of us has a gap, and not a single one of us on our own merit is worthy to be in the presence of a holy God, but but the good news is God pursues us. You are only here because of God's pursuit, God's provenient grace that has led you to worship. It's God's love and grace that brings you here. And and so so that's the context we see in Psalm 51. David is is hiding. He's ashamed. As a pastor, you always love when you get a sermon illustration during the week, like when you're studying a scripture and something happens and you think, I can use that. Let me tell you about something that happened last night. (laughs) I've been studying this scripture all week, and uh, last night I came here to get Eli from uh, he went to Sunfest with the teens yesterday, and they got back about midnight, so I picked Eli up, and I went home, and I got home at about 12, 15 a.m. Now, that's not a problem for me. I'm typically, I'm a late night guy. It's not a big deal. But I get home, and Eli goes upstairs, and so I, I take Baxter. You guys, I've talked about Baxter before. He's our annoying little dog that barks too much and drives me insane. I take Baxter's at the back door, and Baxter wants to go out. And so I go to the back door, and I let Baxter out. I go in to get a drink of water, and I come back. He's at the door. It's about two or three minutes later. And I walk back to the door, and I open the door, and something hits me. Baxter had gotten sprayed by a skunk. 12.15 a.m., about, uh, about seven, seven and a half hours before I'm going to be here preparing to preach, Baxter went out and got himself sprayed by a skunk. And I got to tell you, like that, this, this was a perfect picture of where David was because Baxter knew there was a gap between what he should smell like and what he smelled like. And I'm telling you, I opened that door and it was like, boom, Deb told me this morning that she smelled skunk on me. Like, that's how bad it is. And that's not normal, right? Okay, good, all right, (laughs) I just had to check. Um, And and so Baxter comes in, he knows there's a gap between what he should be and what he is and Baxter sneaks in the door and he goes over in the corner and he kind of lays down and crouches because he knows he is not worthy to be in my house. (laughs) And honestly, I wanted to just say, go outside, I'll see you tomorrow. You know, I don't want to deal with this at 12, 15 a.m. But that's where David is. David's committed these atrocious sins. David's committed adultery. He's tried to cover it up. He's committed murder, essentially. And he is in a place where he's hiding, he's running. He doesn't want anything to do with an encounter with a holy God. God pursues him. And that's where we come to Psalm 51. Let me say this. I think a lot of times, while we might judge David and look down on David for this, I think a lot of times when we come into the house of worship and we know there's a gap between who God is and who we are, I think a lot of times we do the same thing. It may not be as obvious. We may not do what Baxter did where we crawl in a corner and we, we shake and we hide, but we come in and, and how do we handle it? Maybe we just close our heart. Maybe we come in and focus on anything in the world other than who God is. Because we know if we focus on who God is, if we surrender ourselves, there's going to be this gap and we're going to be found unworthy. Let me tell you, that is not worship. Psalm 51, we have a beautiful picture of true worship, of repentance, of transformation, and of praise. Psalm 51, that's the context in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are my God and Savior, and my tongue will sing your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offering. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. So we see David come into the presence of a holy, righteous God. And there's a huge gap. God pursues him, and when he comes to answer for it, this is his response. So there's three parts of this. Repentance, cleansing, and praising. I want to talk about that. that, that that's worship. Worship is our expectation, worship is our adoration, but worship is God's transformation in us which has to do with repentance, cleansing, and praising. So let's work through this. There's so much good stuff in this. I wish I had two hours, I'm not gonna do that, but I wish I had two hours because there's so much in this and you need to study this. I mean, just study it, it's incredible. Verse one, have mercy on me according to your great compassion, have mercy on me according to your great compassion. We we talked about the gap. The gap is too big, right? The gap it's too much. We wouldn't want to be around David. That's how vile his sin is. That's how big of a gap between righteousness and holiness and David is. It's huge. And when David is confronted with that gap, what does he do? He cries out to God for mercy. He has no leg to stand on. He knows it. He is done. And he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your great compassion. Listen, every single one of us, when we came into worship today, if we meet the living God, if we praise God for who he is, we're going to find a gap. I've got really good news for you today. God's compassion is greater than the gap. God's grace and God's mercy and God's compassion is greater than your greatest sin. And David, who's the gap is huge, says, Have mercy on me, God, according to your compassion. Because David, even though he's blown it, knows that God is a compassionate and loving and merciful and graceful God. And so he throws himself at God's feet and says, Have mercy on me, I've blown it. Verse 2. Wash away all my iniquity. The King James Version says, Wash me thoroughly and cleanse me from my sin. Not only does he know there's a gap, not only does he throw himself at Jesus' feet, but he says, Wash me of all my iniquity. This teaches us something. Repentance is not about confessing and repenting of our biggest Sins. I think sometimes we walk through our week and maybe there are things that happen that aren't honoring God, but, but maybe there's one thing that you walk into worship and you think, I need to repent of that. David had some of those things, right? But he doesn't say, forgive me for this big one and this big one and this one. He says, forgive me for all, all of my sins. See, David knew something. It wasn't just It wasn't just the adultery. It wasn't just the murder, it was the lust that led him to it. It was that sin that sometimes we may walk through our week and think, okay, the gap's not that big. But he doesn't repent of just this part of the gap. He says, I repent of all of it. Wash me of all of my sin. The only way we can repent is completely and fully. Listen, if there is a gap... We have to repent of all of it. This happens in my house. So the other day, I'm going to tell you a a funny story. The other day, I'm up in my room, and as happens just about every day, I start to hear some fighting downstairs. I start to hear some arguing. One of my kids is getting mad at the other. I hear the whole thing. I mean, I'm listening. You know, I'm tuning in so I know what happened. And I hear the one kid who's kind of just poking the bear. He knows that the other one, is going to get mad and do something. So he's poking the bear and he's saying little things and the other one's getting more and more mad and you can hear it. You can hear the tension rising and all of a sudden, it happens. The big one happens. <laughs> and, and one of my sons comes upstairs. I'm not going to tell you which one because this is, uh, you'll figure it out. But uh, one of my sons comes upstairs and he says, my brother flipped me off. Yeah, pastor's house. Like, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and there's that fishbowl, right, that everybody, and it's because us pastors are not smart enough to not tell you the dumb things that our kids do. And, and so one of my kids got so angry at his brother that, that he flipped him the bird. <laughs> I, don't mean, I don't mean to make light of it. it that's pretty, pretty rough. And so one of them comes up and tells on the other, and, and I say, you know what? I heard the whole thing. Go get your brother and come up here. And we had a conversation about all the little things that led to the big thing. And here's the thing. If my son came upstairs and said, I apologize for flipping my brother the bird, that would be one thing. But there was a lot more there that needs to be solved. In fact, the best part of this, well, not the best part, the worst part of this story is that when I said, why did you do that? Where did you learn that? My son said, mommy told me. It's really bad. So I said, wait a minute. You knew it was a really bad thing to do and you did it anyway? Yes, that's why I did it. Because I knew it was bad and I wanted to do something bad. That's pretty, pretty evil, right? <laughs> well, my kids are wonderful. But that's, that's pretty bad. But see, it wasn't just the big one that we needed to repent of. It was all of the little stuff that caused the big one. If you just say sorry for the big one, guess what happens? They go back downstairs and boom, they're at it again and here we are again. David knows that he's committed some big ones, but he also knows that the little ones have to be repented for too. Listen, if there's a gap, it doesn't matter if it's here or here or here. You have to repent completely. It's the only true repentance. Verse three, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Verse four is a little bit difficult for us because it it just seems ridiculous. Against you and you only. We get tripped up on that. David sinned against a lot of people, but what David is saying here is I really blew it against you, God. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I want to talk about these two lines because they're important. See, our our, uh, M-O-R, way of handling sin sometimes is that we we pull a Baxter and we cower in the corner and we hide and we close off our heart and we think I'm going to do everything I can to keep my brokenness from God but David acknowledges here in verse 3 I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me you can try to hide it all you want you can try to hide the gap all you want. It, you can't do it. Your sin stays before you. And David is clearly distraught because of his, the, the, the gravity of his sin. Listen, you can't hide your sin from yourself. It's going to stay there. You can try to cover it up. But at the end of the day, you know it's there. And David says, not only do I know, not only is my sin always before me, but against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil. Listen to these words. In your sight. We can't hide our sin from ourselves and we sure can't hide our sin from God because what we think we're doing when God's not looking, God knows it all. And God sent Nathan to confront David on his sin. We can't hide it. Listen, you can... Try to come into worship all you want and try to worship without confronting the gap. But it's there and you can't truly worship if you don't come open and honest and repentant. And so David says, you know it. I know it. Let's get it out there. Verse 6. This is another one I want to talk about for just a second. This is a, a tricky one. In the NIV it says, You desired faithfulness even in the womb. That, that's a little weird, isn't it? I, I think that's a, a strange translation. You know what this is trying to say? The, the word that's translated womb there. I think the better translation would be, you desire faithfulness in my inner being. The word literally means in my kidney or my my inner parts. That God's desire is not just for faithfulness on the outside. God's desire is not just for faithfulness in our actions or our words. God's desire is faithfulness in our inner being that we would be faithful to God even in our inner being. And then it says, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. That's talking about the hidden place, the place inside of us that we think nobody sees. God's desire is not for a bunch of Christians who walk around pretending to be holy. God's desire is that we would be faithful inside and out and that we would know we can't hide who we are. God wants true Faithfulness. And so David knows his sin. God knows his sin. He acknowledges and he repents. This is true repentance. Have mercy on me. Forgive me for all my sin because I know it and you know it and you desire faithfulness. Verse 7, we move from from repentance to transformation. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And then verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Listen, repentance is not just about forgiveness. True repentance is about transformation For David, it wasn't a thing of, hey, I've just got to confess my sin so that God can slap me on the wrist and then I can go on my way. For David, true repentance for all of us, true repentance is not just saying, forgive me for the gap, but close the gap. I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to be in sin anymore. I don't want to do those things anymore. I want my heart to be faithful. I want to be holy. And so, I don't want to demean any other traditions or or denominations, but listen, repentance is not just about getting your little slap on the hand so that you can go out and continue to live the way you want to live. God's desire is not just to forgive us, but to transform us and to change our heart. God's desire is to make us holy. Holy. It's not a slap on the the wrist, it's a transformation thing and that's the best news of all today is that when you came in to meet the living God, when you experience his holiness and his goodness, when you realize the gap in your unworthiness, God doesn't want to just smack you on the hand and say, go about your day. God wants to transform you. And not only does God want to transform you, but God can and God will transform you. This should get you excited. The gap doesn't have to be there. In fact, we see later, we know now when you talk about David in Scripture, what is David called? David's called a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. Don't tell me that transformation can't happen. Don't tell me that we can't get past our sin and our brokenness. David is a true example, someone who was far from God, someone who was broken and sinful to the point that we wouldn't want to be around him, and God transformed him and changed him. And he's a man after God's own heart. And, And some of you are sitting there saying, how can that be? He doesn't deserve that. He deserves death. Let's be real. He deserves death. He killed Uriah. He committed adultery. He doesn't deserve to be transformed. He deserves death. Let me tell you the love of our God. He sent his one and only son to die in David's place. He sent his one and only son to a cross to pay the price for David's sin. So there's a gap between us and God, but I want you to know that God's grace and God's compassion and God's mercy is bigger than your gap. And Jesus has paid the price. God wants to transform us and renew us. Verse eight, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Isn't it weird that David's talking about joy and gladness in the midst of his greatest sin and brokenness? But when we repent and God transforms, God restores and redeems and we can live And the joy of our salvation, God's transformation, restores our joy. You need proof? Last week, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. God is awesome. God is gracious. God is loving. If you can't see the rejoicing and the joy and the transformation, listen, there's a gap. God's grace is bigger. He goes on and he says, then I will, verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul. God's transforming work, our repentance that leads to God's transformation, leads us right back to adoration and praise. You want to talk about true worship? True worship isn't coming into a sanctuary with a bunch of people and making each other feel good about about ourselves. True worship isn't just always feeling good about everything. True worship is getting honest and open before God. Acknowledging the gap in his worthiness and our unworthiness. Surrendering our heart completely. Confessing, repenting, and being transformed. Verse 16 sums it up well. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. David's saying, whatever it takes, I would bring it. But you don't care about the sacrifices. He says, you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Listen, you can come into to the worship service all you want and pretend and say I will give you this and I will give you this and and I'll I'll do this for a week if you'll forgive me that's not what God wants God wants verse, verse 17 my sacrifice oh God is a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart oh God you will not despise God's first desire for us in worship Is not that we would raise our hands and make a big spectacle. God's first desire is our hearts. So worship is expecting to meet the living God. Worship is adoring God for who he is. but, But worship is coming, acknowledging the gap between his worthiness and our unworthiness, repenting of our sin, being transformed. And praising God with everything we have. The worship team's coming up. And we're going to sing a couple songs of response. Listen, I know for us, hearing about David may make you feel like you're doing all right. But if you come into the presence of the living God and you experience God's glory and God's holiness, for every single one of us, there is a gap And today, for us to truly worship, we have to come open and surrendered. And we need to repent. So this is what I want you to do as we sing these next few songs. I want you to respond to God. And I don't want you to put on a show. I don't care about the show. I don't want you to hide stuff anymore. I want you to say, God, here it is. I know it. You know it. Have mercy on me. Forgive me for the ways I've sinned and fallen short and transform me into your image. You can respond however you see fit, however God calls you to. If you want to pray at your seat, if you want to stand, if you want to cry like me, that's cool. If you want to come to an altar, these altars are here. The living God is here with us. He is holy. He is worthy. And on our own, we are not. But we need to open our hearts and repent. Father, I love you today. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that even though I may feel like I haven't done as bad of things as other people, even though I may feel like the gap isn't as big or it's huge, Lord, either way, you you are pursuing us and your heart today is to know our heart and to change our heart. Help us to repent to you. Anything in our, in our hearts, in our minds, anything that separates us from your holiness and your righteousness today, help us to repent. Help us to truly come open and honest before you. And I pray that you would forgive us. I pray that you would transform us. And I pray that we would worship you, not in hiding, not carrying a heavy burden, but knowing your great love and your great mercy. We worship you now. We respond to you